0: Well, I'm driving on a dusty road. Probably can hear the truck coming out of Tacla. Hectic day today, lots to do and, and I was mindful today. I was very mindful today, it was a struggle. I put off smoking till the end of the day. I just couldn't help it but to have a cigarette just to take a bit of the edge off.
1: You're listening to Smokestack Sandra, a series brought to you by the First Nations Health Authority. I'm Ed LaMaya Tailfeathers. This is the final episode in our series about Sandra T.G. She's the deputy chief of Takla Lake First Nation. She's trying to quit smoking, and she's also trying to educate her community about the harms of tobacco. Good
0: afternoon. I've got my neighbor, Francis West, So, um, Francis, um, when did you start smoking?
2: Since I was like, uh, 13, I guess, 14.
0: So, um, Francis, um, do you smoke in your house? No, I don't. Um, do your children smoke? Yes, they do. How many children do you have? Five kids. Which ones and your kids smoke that and how old are they?
2: Jericho is 16 and Destiny's 19.
0: So uh, that being said, have you spoke to them about um, their smoking habits?
2: Yeah, yes I did.
0: It's just kind of like, don't do as I do. I don't want you to be smoking.
2: Yeah, I've been talking to Jericho, tell him to quit his smoking because he, he wants to do the sports. So he said he's going to quit. So I don't know when he's going to quit.
0: How many years have you been sober from, from drinking?
2: It's been over 10 years now
0: and with your wife nine years wow that is something else so kudos to you that you you quit drinking now it's just in the cigarettes eh
2: yes mostly cigarettes yeah
0: i'm very serious about quitting smoking and trying to um, get the message across to the young and to the old to consider quitting smoking and i'm down to six sticks a day it's so important to have our parents in our community that are raising children um, to to be role models to their children and knowing that you're going to quit smoking and wanting to quit is, is so important and uh, I thank you for that and I thank you for supporting many of the, the young people in our community and I thank you for your uh, time, Francis, and look forward to being your neighbor for a long, long time. You do. Bye for now. This interview is going to cost me what? <laughs> Pack of smokes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've got Margot French beside me. So, uh, Margot, how old were you when you um, started smoking? My first cigarette was probably around nine years old. I just about gagged, I just about threw up. I told myself I didn't want to smoke, but the devil himself, he asked me to have another smoke. So I tried it and then gradually I enjoyed it. In a year, what do you think you you would save if you didn't smoke? God, my truck would have been paid off. That's for sure. In our communities, poverty is almost 90%. Looking at the expense of cigarettes, you could be spending that on healthy fruits and healthy vegetables. Um, I heard uh, one of the elders in our community spent close to a million dollars before he died. He died of smoking, so think about that.
3: Tobacco was first a herb. It was a herb that was sent down by the creator. It was actually a medicine before it became a commodity.
1: This is Cecil Williams. He's an elder and an addictions counselor. He's also well-versed on the sacred use of tobacco.
3: It's used in many, many different ways. Tobacco was actually the, the formal offering of asking for help. Like I would take this little bit of tobacco and... I would, I, would smu- I would smudge it and pray with it, and, and I would ask the creator, I need some help.
1: Saislo moves to Vancouver as a young man. A lot of people his age are drinking and using drugs.
3: And, and I remembered the city lights, I remembered the people going downtown and and I said I guess I should join them and in doing so um, between the ages of I would say probably 16, 17, 18 to about 28, 28 years of age I, I, slid, I slid into it real fast and, and I became an alcoholic.
1: People from the American Indian Movement come to Vancouver. Seislo attends one of their meetings.
3: And with them they brought a big drum, teachings from different parts of Turtle Island, the sweat lodge, the sacred pipe, um, smudging. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning of my coming back. When I heard... the big drum and I heard those people singing When I heard that it just hit home to me and awakened something inside here
1: this is a turning point for Say-Slow. Ceremony helps him get sober. Now he's an elder. He counsels First Nations people who struggle with addiction in Surrey, BC. Say-Slow says tobacco is an important part of traditional healing ceremonies. He respects it, but he doesn't mince words when it comes to the tobacco companies.
3: When we look at the, the modern, fashionable practices of smoking, it's not sacred. It's something that's lost its way and for that matter will continue to lose its way. And the cigarette companies will still pay millions and billions of dollars to keep the people doing what they're doing. Could be spent on healing people who got cancer. Could be spent on education material in the schools. And so that harsh reality needs to be looked at in a really, really good way.
0: Do those people who advertised for smoking, you know, ever feel the guilt of what they did? Does the industry that creates um, cigarettes knowing full well back in the day that it would kill people, and that's a part of the industry that I don't understand—that there's not an up more of an uproar, like you know, wake up. Now, that being said, I am accountable for the fact that I chose to smoke. I chose to smoke at a, you know, when I
1: did. This is a really common question. Is it my fault that I smoke? Many people come to the conclusion that yes, it is their fault.
0: Well, uh, it's actually quite frequent from non-smokers, too.
1: This is Neil Collishaw. He's the research director of a non called Physicians really for a Smoke-Free Canada.
0: But there's many things that the tobacco companies do to foster and encourage that kind of thinking. Uh, so not only do they put a dangerous product on the market, they're quite anxious to uh, ensure that the blame uh, lies not with them but for them, from the people that use it. And indeed, to a certain extent, people uh, can determine their own behavior, but I expect this woman you're following isn't real happy about being a smoker. But like many other smokers, uh, she finds it very difficult to quit, and she hasn't succeeded yet. Maybe she never will. Uh, And the reason she finds it difficult to quit is because it is. Uh, Well, there's actually quite a number of pharmacological changes that occur with every puff of every cigarette that will defeat the free will of an individual and the people who sold it to her knew that that would happen
4: you know this night
5: works kind of rough isn't it that's right but a camel's always a pleasure Yes, folks, the pleasing mildness of a camel is just as enjoyable to a doctor as it is to you or me. In a nationwide survey, doctors in all branches of medicine were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? The brand named most was Camels.
1: Now we know what the companies knew a long time ago. Cigarettes kill. The government has rolled out age restrictions and advertising bans. They've limited smoking in bars and in front of buildings. They've put up anti-smoking messages right on the packaging. And they've hiked taxes on cigarettes. Neil says all of this helps lower the smoking rate. But the tobacco industry grew for decades without being checked. That can't be reversed. You're listening to Smokestack Sandra, brought to you by the First Nations Health Authority. I'm Elemaya Tailfeathers. Back in one minute. You're listening to Smokestack Sandra. I'm Ella Maya Tailfeathers.
6: My name is Danielle Serank. I'm Swampy Cree of York Factory, Manitoba, and I am the team lead for the External Wellness Initiatives Department at the First Nations Health Authority. My dad was a um, iron worker for many years and was kind of in and out of work for most of my childhood. And my mom was a waitress at Woodward's.
4: And did they did they smoke? They both did. How much?
6: A lot. <laughs> Um, They smoked in the house, I remember being in the back seat of the car and them flicking ashes out the window and getting them in my eye.
4: When did you smoke your first cigarette?
6: I was 12. I was a group of girlfriends, we were all the same age. Um, One of them managed to get a pack of smokes off her grandma, who used to buy cartons. And I remember we were like at the playground and we were really forcing ourselves to smoke. I remember it hurting. I remember, yeah, it tasted gross. My lungs hurt. That's a really awkward age for a girl to grow up in a tough neighborhood I kind of grew up in. Um, So it was just kind of part of being cool, I guess. (laughs)
4: When did you start smoking cigarettes with more regularity?
6: That day. That day? That day. And every day after that for 17 years. And my dad used to always say, it's easier to quit now than tomorrow. And I remember him saying that when I was like 14. And I didn't feel like I could quit. So I just never tried. Every single minute of my life was consumed by smoking. Um, You know, I traveled a lot. I couldn't even get to the airport from my house without having five smokes because the panic and anxiety of knowing I couldn't smoke for like four or five hours was overwhelming to me.
1: Danielle meets a guy. He doesn't smoke. Neither do his friends. And they all kind of shame her about smoking. They say that's gross whenever she heads outside. It's embarrassing. So she decides to quit.
4: Is the feeling, man? I have to stop, or or just this is a little embarrassing, and I and I don't want to do this around them.
6: It's probably more of that. Like so, this is a little embarrassing. I should go hide somewhere. And then I bought that book, um, The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. I took a lot from that book, but the book was promising. By the end of this book, you will never smoke again. Okay, so I went and had my last cigarette, as the book instructs you to do. And sure enough, I was having another smoke within an hour. And I was so upset. I was like, this is the book. Like, Ellen recommends it. Oprah recommends it. Like, this is the book.
1: Danielle also tries laser therapy. Again, no change whatsoever. Then she goes to a
6: hypnotist. I was hoping for a miracle. It was ridiculous. Like, I actually did research a reputable hypnotherapist and ended up at some little office on Broadway Street. It was like $500. I didn't go under, right? I didn't feel like I was hypnotized at all. And then when I finished and told him that, he's like, oh, just, you know, give it a day. Took my smokes from me and then sent me on my way. Got to my car, had a parking ticket. So I bought a pack of smokes right away.
1: None of this works, and it doesn't work out with her boyfriend either. Then she meets another guy.
6: He was very, very healthy. Um, You know, beach volleyball player, very active, has never smoked a day in his life, doesn't understand the addiction. Um, But He lost his two previous partners to cancer, and they were both smokers, and they were both my age. They weren't smoke-related cancer, but for him, he didn't see the difference. He was like, you're unhealthy, like stick around, right? I want to have a family with you. And that was pretty much it for me.
1: Danielle decides to try a prescription drug called Champix. It's a lot like the patch or gum. It reduces cravings. It even makes
6: cigarettes less pleasurable. The medication recommends that you pick a day within the next two or three weeks to quit. Um, I didn't pick a day i just sat there one day saying i think this is it like i have three smokes left i'm not rushing out to get another pack i was like okay well let's try to get through next tomorrow morning and so i got through tomorrow morning and it was like literally like hour by hour it wasn't day by day i tell you when i put out that last smoke and i, I wasn't planning on that being my last smoke that was it i never had another puff of the smoke again in my life
1: Danielle is really up and down for the next few weeks. Sometimes she's excited to have quit, other times she finds herself crying at work for no good reason. And she knows part of this is just chemical changes in her body, but on some other level, it also feels like she's saying goodbye to something.
6: It was almost like an identity for me because as far as i could remember i smoked you know i smoked for 17 years and i smoked through a marriage a divorce like relationships and it was almost like a friend in a crutch and you know people who knew me back then cannot see me as a non-smoker a lot of them cannot believe i do not smoke So like to date, I've quit for four years, one month, four weeks, and six days. I have not smoked 37,969 cigarettes, and I've saved $16,137. The life expectancy has increased for me by four months, one week, and five days.
4: How do you feel when when you read those numbers?
6: I get kind of goosebumps because, you know, it's one of the biggest accomplishments that I've had because it's one of the hardest things I've gone through. And I did it.
7: Um, hi there, my name is Lydia Hweetsum. Uh, my traditional name is Lelia. I'm from the Cowichan tribes and I chair the board of directors for the First Nations Health Authority. I grew up in the Couch and Valley. I'm actually, I was born in my grandmother's house in the Quamichan village and I currently live about 100 meters from the exact spot I was born. <laughs> my um, dad passed away when I was very young. I was only five. So, um, but I do remember that he smoked interestingly enough. I actually have a memory of the sm- smell of the smoke. I'm the youngest in my family of all older brothers, and so they all smoked. I mean, when I see pictures of my older brothers that were 20 years older than me, it looked cool, right? They had the cigarettes wrapped in their their T-shirt sleeve and or one behind their ear. It was just, it seemed like they were all doing it because it was so cool. I could easily go and sneak a cigarette away, so that's what happened. It's like, let's try a cigarette. And so I went and... Um, took the cigarette and we all went walking down to the river because we live near the river and we're all like okay let's do this and we're (laughs) passing this one cigarette around and then we all got so scared that when we got home mom was going to smell it on us so we we literally walked around and smushed blackberries all over ourselves thinking we're gonna try hide the smell of the cigarettes. Whether it really was elation or not, there was that little bit of, uh, you know, it's gosh, how would I describe it? That one drag, and it it's, feels a little stimulating and almost a bizarre sense of comfort. By the time we were sixteen, we were jointly buying, chipping in for a pack of cigarettes, so that we could have a have our own smokes, kind of thing.
4: Do you remember when the first time was that you tried to quit?
7: Geez, when was the first time I actually really tried to quit? Because I my, my smoking over my lifetime was an escalation. Just when I'd quit and i come back, I'd smoke more. And I had this weird thing in my head that was like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I'll quit smoking for a while. My lungs will recover and then I'll get back to it. I don't know. It was just some rationale for, you know, quitting and then starting again. My motivation, I guess, was I, even though I'd had my two children and I kept struggling to smoke or not, my daughter got pregnant. She would, say, she would say things to me like, Oh, Mom, I really wish you'd quit. And she'd get really pointed and go, Do you think that maybe your, your grandchild will recognize you by the smell of cigarettes? I mean, she laid it on kind of thick, right?
4: What did that, what did that feel like? To hear oh, that? I
7: almost felt like crying. I just felt like, my gosh, I can remember cigarette smoke as a child. And that reminds me of... Um, And my father and then to think, for me to think, oh my gosh, that that would be a a long-standing memory for my grand. Not only, I mean, I never smoked around her, but the business of just how you smell.
4: Did you just go cold turkey?
7: I just went cold turkey. Back then, I went cold turkey. I wasn't even familiar with any smoking cessation, other, you know, methodologies. It was just like, quit.
4: How many times in total do you think you tried? quit smoking? Oh,
7: I think I tried to quit, like really tried, about five times.
4: You have a really impressive resume, right? UVic law school grad. Uh, You were a chief, chair of First Nations Health Council, and a parent, right? You've been able to accomplish all these things in your life. But as you describe it, it seems like it was a real struggle to quit smoking. How does quitting smoking compare to some of the other things that you've kind of fought for and struggled for in your own life.
7: Even being a single parent and going to law school, I knew if I just was, was organized enough and, and I could get that done. But with cigarettes, I literally felt less in control. I could organ- I could be very organized and get all of this stuff and be disciplined, but for some reason, when it came to cigarettes, it was my excuse. It was my ongoing excuse to just go, you know, I'm having a bad day, forget it. I'm going to have a smoke. Yeah, our people have been through so much, right? I mean, all this oppressive marginalization over all ranges of of our uh, experience that I really think that part of the sense for me was, well, am I worth it? can even feel a little emotional about it now because, you know, getting to the point of like, yeah, I'm worth it.
1: Sandra is on the phone with a Quit Now coach. This is a service every smoker should know about. There's a website, quitnow.ca, and a helpline. You can call at any time of day or night and get advice about quitting smoking. I've been wanting to quit
0: since my grandson was born, so. Yeah. Um, now, more so than ever, i got to walk my talk because I take care of the health portfolio, right? uh uh-huh. I guess uh, one of the things that I've been really dealing with lately is the remorse of all the wasted years of smoking and getting over that.
6: Mm -hmm. And so when you were a non-smoker and things got stressful, what helped you get through those situations?
0: I guess one of the things was journaling, reading stuff, uh, creating things, scrubbing my space. One of
6: the best things that we can really do for ourselves when triggers are... something such as stress is that finding new ways to deal with our stress. So like you said, journaling is a great one or reading or, you know, creating things if you're, you know, crafty or if you have a hobby or it could be meditation, it could be praying, it could be, you know, there's lots of things that are out there that, you know, people enjoy doing or find, you know, that help them through stressful situations. We're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if you're struggling or you're having a craving, you can always call in. And anyone who answers the phone um, can help you through those situations and really kind of talk you through it so that you have that extra support as well.
0: Okay. Thank you.
6: You're welcome. Take care.
0: Okay, bye. Bye.
4: You've been watching her try to quit smoking. That's been the subject of this documentary. When she started, what did you think?
2: I knew it would be hard for her because she smokes a lot. She she used to smoke a lot. She could light up continuously, just rotate them. So when she said it, yeah. You so you, it, you're you taking aback back a bit, and um, you say, well, and mentally you say, yeah, right. But then she does it, and she's at the point now where with a little nudge or a little push, she can
4: get over that line. Do you think she's going to quit?
2: Oh, yeah, she'll quit. Yeah? Oh, yeah, she's going to quit. She will quit.
0: This is probably my last recording. Um, coming into Vancouver, it's quite emotional because you see a lot of your Aboriginal people that are addicted to one drug or one form of addiction or another, and it's sad to see like the human life, the the possibilities of one's life. I'm ending this the session with. This um, heartfelt feeling of um, this journey has been, uh, there's been a lot of ups and downs. I I I feel that um, there was no accident in me doing this podcast. It was somebody above, you know, really caring and loving me. To say you know you're gonna be on this earth a little bit longer than you know what you're doing.
1: Thank you for listening to part three of Smokestack Sandra, a series brought to you by the First Nations Health Authority. You can check out the whole series. Just go to fnha.ca smokestack. If you're a smoker and you'd like to get help quitting, please visit quitnow.ca. Quit Now also offers free phone counseling 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. My name is Ella Maya Tailfeathers. Thanks for listening.
5: I can't leave this room You might call while I'm